0: Welcome to the A to Z of David Bowie. I'm Mark Riley, and that colourful character is
1: Rob Hughes. As you'll be aware, the A to Z of David Bowie is free to download. (laughs) lunacy. But if you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things, and for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Right, so now you're thinking $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of great new exclusive material ...delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. ...via a system called Patreon. That's right, Mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Materials such as... Interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends. There'll be regular film Bowie quizzes. Bowie guitar tutorials. Unreleased
0: archive written material. Competitions. And perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Nock and Jason Reed. Visit...
1: In various Bowie places of interest. And much more besides. All this for just $5 a month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com, that's P A T R E O N.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website Bowie at cheapthings.com. Book early. S is
0: also for Starman. Starman is a song by David Bowie, recorded on the 4th of February 1972 and released as a single in April. The song was a late addition to the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, included at the insistence of RCA's Dennis Katz, who heard a demo and loved the track, believing it would make a great single. It replaced a Chuck Berry cover, Round and Round, on the album.
1: Yeah, more of which later, actually. It's bonkers,
0: do not yeah, But if you think it about it, it was also... Um, it, these things happen with albums, don't they? But mm. fill your heart... That replaced uh, Bombers, didn't it? That's right, yeah, yeah. Bombers is great. On Hunky Dory. I would rather have had Bombers on there. Definitely. And, you know, I mean... an old friend of mine, Guy Garvey, uh, you know, I'm an elbow, and particularly the early albums, I absolutely loved them. Yeah, uh, and, and they went very commercial and, and it did the job for them. Mm. Uh, but uh, similarly, they took the album, uh, Seldom Seen Kid, mm. uh, to the record company and they're going, Yeah, we love it, it's great. Can you just go away and, and write one more tune with the idea of it being a hit? Right, and I not know like, that. Right, okay. And they went off and did one day like this, right, which was then all over, everywhere, yeah. like a rash, and turn them into, you know, playing the arenas yeah, throughout stars. Britain and Europe and all over the place. And so it's, it's an old ruse, this, doing mean, this. But to have the foresight to be able to do it and say that to somebody, and the courage to tell yeah. them that their album is lacking just one
1: element. Yeah.
0: And then also being able to actually go away and deliver something is, is it an art form. It is. Itself, that's another
1: it? thing altogether. Under a deadline as well, that's the thing. Because mm-hmm. how many times do you kind of read about a band's history and then present a, a great album to somebody and them saying, yeah, but we don't hear a hit? Yeah, and everything changes from that point, don't they? Well, Depends we'll, who you're dealing we'll, with. Yeah, we'll get into it here, won't we, with yeah. this particular song, because it did the job big style. It did. Anyway, so the lyrics to Starman describe Ziggy Stardust bringing a message of hope to Earth's youth through the radio. Salvation by an alien Starman. The story is told from the point of view of one of the youths who hears Ziggy, and according to Bowie himself, speaking to uh, the author Willie Mess Burroughs from Rolling Stone magazine in 1973, Ziggy Stardust is not the Starman, but merely his earthly messenger. So, contrary to received a opinion, which often paints uh, Ziggy as the extraterrestrial himself. The song has inspired interpretations ranging from an allusion to the second coming of Christ to an accurate prediction of the plot for the film Close Encounters of the Third Kind. (laughs) (laughs) Never thought of that. Uh, So the music is in a gentle
0: pop rock vein uh, featuring prominent acoustic guitar and a string arrangement by Mick Ronson not
1: dissimilar to the style Mm. of Bowie's previous album, Hunky Dory. Okay, so the chorus is loosely based on Harold Arlen's Over the Rainbow from the film The Wizard of Oz, alluding to the star man's extraterrestrial origins over the rainbow. The octave leap on the word "starman," of course, identical to the word uh, on the way somewhere over the rainbow, which Bowie was only too happy to display as he did at the rainbow in August of 72 when he sings Judy Garland's line instead of his own at one point.
0: Yeah, I've got that bootleg. Oh. It's called Bowie over the rainbow, I think. Yeah. Um, other influences cited for the track are T-Rex songs, Telegram Sam and Hot Love, the Boogie references and the La 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 chorus and Holland Dozier Holland you keep me hanging on with they didn't Ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, From a commercial point of view, Starman was a milestone in Bowie's career, not half. His first hit since 1969, Space Oddity, three years before. Enemy critics Roy Carr and Charles Shaw Murray, they always put these in together because it's a book that they wrote together and they don't know who to particularly credit. But anyway, reported that many thought it was his first record in Space Oddity and assumed that it was a sequel to the
1: earlier single. Yeah, which you can see as well, can't you, thematically anyway. The single initially sold steadily rather than spectacularly but earned many positive reviews. John Peel, for instance, called it a classic, a gem. And of course, as we've discussed, its big turning point came when Bowie appeared on Top of the Pops in July 1972 and did Starman. Although this performance, recorded on the fifth of July, broadcast on the sixth, often cited as being the first UK TV performance of the song as we know, and as you saw, it was actually happened three weeks earlier when on liftoff with Aisha.
0: Yeah, it was a few weeks ago that I had uh, Woody Woodmansey on the uh, Six Music programme. Yeah. it was on David's birthday actually, because mm. you interviewed Aisha. And you found out that some Muppet, uh, somewhere along the line, not uh, that long ago, because no. we all thought, and Woody thought, Woody didn't know this story. Oh, did um, No, the fact that we all thought that it had been erased pretty much straight after the event because nobody had seen the footage of it apart from when it went out live. Yeah. And then you found out from Aisha that some Muppet had been given two piles of tapes and one pile was to be just, like, forgotten about and discarded yeah. and the others were to be copied. And he got the two piles mixed up. And then erased what included David Bowie oh, and the Spiders doing, just, doing that, which is just... Oh, he just oh. heard so much. Woody was like, really? really? He didn't he know that, did he? He didn't oh, have a clue, okay. no. Uh, okay, moving on. Bowie's performance with the Spiders became famous. According to the author, David Buckley, many fans date their conversion to all things Bowie to this Top of the Pops appearance. It embedded Ziggy Stardust in the nation's consciousness helping to push Starman to number 10 and the album released the previous month to number 5 the single remained in the UK charts for 11 weeks top of the pops performance is included on the DVD version of Best of Bowie here's something for you Go on. and so uh, the uh, the actual DVD version of uh, Bowie doing Starman yeah. that is actually taken from a uh, a repeat at Christmas okay so you know like at Christmas right. they would give yeah, you the best oh, of yeah, the year yeah, yeah. and it featured a DJ who I won't even mention uh, doing a voiceover at the end of the La La's. Oh, really? And, um, and 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 Nigel got in touch with me, mm. uh, Nigel Reeve, who does all the mastering and the Bowie stuff, and he says he hasn't got a bootleg of the original version of Starman, because obviously the vocals were live. Yeah, sure. He says he hasn't got a bootleg of that, have you, where Bowie's doing the La La's live on the original
1: yeah, broadcast
0: yeah. of it. I might have, yeah, why, are you going to take me to court? No, could do be borrowing <laughs> it. And so what they did, they ended up taking off the end section of my CD. Right. And and dubbing it onto the DVD. Oh, wow,
1: I didn't know that. Wow.
0: So not, so uh, that's my little part of so Bowie. So you're to thank for that then. Well, no, Nigel's to thank for yeah. it, and, and I'm just uh, a criminal. You had the source. <laughs> well, I knew that already, man, but you had the source material through your criminality. You might right. well see me on Crime Watch and say, "Have you seen this man? Apparently, he's got a bootleg of David Bowie doing Starman on top of the Pops oh. first time round." But it was a funny little diversion. Oh, oh
1: great! Oh great! So in the US, the single got to number 65 on the Billboard Top 100. In In addition to the TV shows, Bowie played the song for radio listeners on the BBC's Johnny Walker Lunchtime Show on the 22nd of May, 72. This performance was broadcast in early June that year, eventually came out on Bowie at the Beeb in 2000.
0: Mentioned Johnny Walker there, he was absolutely pivotal. I mean, we know from doing all this and knowing more about Bowie than we probably should, uh, the other people who were heavily involved, like uh, Bob Harris particularly, uh, and John Peel. Um, but Johnny Walker, for the the daytime, the mainstream access to Bowie, if you like, he was it. As far as I was concerned, Johnny Walker was Mr. Bowie. Right. He played him all the time. He was really, really mad, enthusing about it. He used to do the chart show as well. And, and he was just our lifeline to Bowie, because I, right. wasn't, I wasn't listening to John Peel in '90s. Well, I was going
1: to say, you know, that, I mean, that doesn't really get mentioned much, does it? It's always about Peel and Bob Harris and the, sort of the underground DJs, if you like. Well, for a lot of the people who were, were
0: in my situation who saw either Lift Off With I or Top of the Pops, then if you wanted to listen to Radio 1, during the day, and be sure of hearing David Bowie's Starman, ah, you would listen to Johnny Walker. Wow. So respect
1: is due to Johnny Walker. Yeah, in Nick Pegg's brilliant, complete David Bowie book, he tells the story of a recording of Bowie playing Starman to Ronson for the first time, uh, was given by Rono to a mate who later sold it online and somebody bought it. Right? That's weird. I wonder if Bowie ever bought that kind of stuff. You'd be tempted, wouldn't you? I mean, I, if it was me, I would have been, I think. I mean, you'd I mean, wouldn't wouldn't own it, wouldn't you, really?
0: W- knowing what a completist Bowie was, particularly through the David Bowie is exhibition, you would have to wonder, and, and being, well... Loaded. Yes. Then uh, you see something like that coming up and thinking, well, that's that's really a part of my history and yeah. it does belong to me, but I, I, I'll buy it and keep it out of somebody else's mix, if yes. you like. I just yeah. wonder. So here we go. This is a very important development. The 15th of June, Ziggy and the Spiders have a show in Coventry, but it's cancelled. This allows a band without Nicky Graham, who we we'll want to talk about in a moment, mm-hmm. uh, to go to Manchester, to Granada Studios, talked about it before, to record Liftoff with Aisha. And, you know, it was, it was a big, big moment, as I know, for those who are uh, lucky enough to see it and it's a stuff of myth because of the reason that was said before yeah. about erasing it yeah. but Nicky Graham just want to interject at this point in time uh, it was only a couple of weeks ago I had uh, a band called You Tell Me live in session oh, great. featuring Peter Brewis from Field Music yeah. and we were talking about the Bros documentary mm. as everybody was then and still to an extent is now yeah and we were talking about the various things like he goes off on one about uh, the, the world at the moment and what really really is upsetting him is the fact that you can't play Conkers anymore
1: that's right it a lo- oh it's, it's, pre- it's great it, it's priceless I can't it, recommend it enough I mean there's really some
0: very poignant bits yeah, in there yeah, yeah. as well but you, but you should watch it if you, you don't even have to like music to to no to enjoy it. it it's just incredible uh, but it, it transpired so Peter Brewer said to me he said yeah I've seen it this that and the other we were having a laugh and he went that's weird isn't it how one of Davy Bowie's band um some of the songs for Bros and the uh, producer was like, really? what? And he said, yeah, I can't remember, he's a, a piano player. I said, well, not Nicky Graham. I knew he wasn't Rick Waitman, no. and I knew he wasn't Mike Garson. <laughs> so, uh, being clever, I said, not Nicky Graham. I mean, that's him. I'm sure that's right. I've read it somewhere. So I immediately went on uh, to Wikipedia, and sure enough, Nicky Graham, he worked with Bowie uh, in 1972 on the first Ziggy tour, mm. and th- but he's from South Africa. right? And he he went on to be a producer and an and arranger and writer for Bros. He wrote Let's Get Ready to Rumble for Anton Deck and wow. produced it. He worked with Shaking Stevens. Did he really? He just loads of that's stuff. That's great. So, I mean, and uh, I got into Blam, Mark Adams. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't even know that. I mean, he knows everything. He so. doesn't know where he is, the font of all knowledge. There will be people out there going, oh, we knew this. And that's fine, but <laughs> I didn't, you didn't. No, I didn't. Uh, he was just, a, I thought that was absolutely that's brilliant. That's a great connection, it really is. I also spoke to a main man fella, Di Davies. Yeah. Now, I know Di because he used to work a band that I was a plugger for called Levitation. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and it was uh, the guy I was working for who died, hired, uh, hired his company. He says, to me, you, you you worked a lot with Bowie, you know. So I asked him about it at the time. He's going, yeah, I work for Main Man. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to, again, catch up with him for uh, for cheap things. I okay, brilliant. This, but I will be catching up with him about it. Yeah. But he told me uh, that he was Bowie's press agent, Anya Wilson. She knew the booker at Granada. And so it's quite possible that when this opportunity arrived, she just got in touch with the booker and said, I've got David Bowie, I've got Ziggy and the Spiders yeah. available, we've got a night off, have you got a slot for us? Because it was last minute, yeah. and they went off and did it, and that
1: was so important these as are well. great moments, aren't they? So, talking of which, Wednesday the 5th of July now, 1972, Top of the Pops, which is the big pivotal moment for most Bowie fans. Uh, do you know what, the bloke on the, I didn't know this until you did these notes, uh, the bloke on the stage right wearing a yellow suit was the tour manager, Will Palin. No, I didn't know that uh, the band stood next to uh, Status Quo in the corridor. I remember talking to Woody about this a few some years ago, waiting to go uh, take the stage. Uh, the uh, B-Denim Francis Rossi apparently said, shit, you make us feel old. Uh, pivotal because we've well, got all the great glam gear on. And uh, pivotal moments of that performance itself, People, the stuff that people really remember, of course, Bowie putting his arm around Rono just that great moment and most of all looking down the uh lens of the camera and pointing towards us well that know? was it yeah that was a real sort of big moment i think so that yeah you could be us we are you that kind of thing the costumes the song the whole thing the perfect package
0: yeah it was ace it was just ace uh, when you think of all the songs in between Space Oddity and Starman, which weren't about space, mm. it is a bit of a coincidence, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. That his two hits were space oriented. <laughs> Cosmic Jive, we're talking, aren't we? Yeah, I think of so. course,
1: absolutely. So, uh, I did a piece on Starman for Uncut magazine. I I thought it was like maybe what five years ago. It turns out it was ten years ago now. Time hey. flies. So this was the first time I was lucky enough to speak to Ken Scott, the producer. Ken's had his memory. He said that we went back into the studio to do Starman in January 72 after we'd done the rest of the Ziggy album, which, as you mentioned at the start, uh, it was somebody at RCA, sort of Dennis Katz, who suggested we do it. I really don't know if the directive came from America or England. All I know is that they told us, there's no single, go back in and do one, and that was Starman. From what I remember, we initially had uh, Chuck Berry's Round and Round on the Ziggy album, so Starman replaced that, and it all came together very quickly, maybe in just one day. Wow, Mick Ronson did the arrangements for strings and guitar on Starman. We
0: all just instinctively knew what we were there to do, and it all just fell into place. That Morse code sound on there is actually piano and guitar, done on three-track. I do lectures these days, and in the beginning, this is still Ken Scott on yeah. me, I don't do lectures. <laughs> uh, there was, uh, that was one of the things I used as an example of individual pieces and how they're put together. It's basically a piano and two guitars, an octave apart. Then we bounce them all down together to make one track. It seemed to make sense in that there was this idea of something coming from a distant planet. So he put it all through a phaser. It's
1: ingenious, isn't it? It just works so well, yeah. Uh, He then said about uh, Bowie's trajectory, he said, I guess it happened very quickly once David had done Starman on Top of the Pops and the Ziggy album was out. I have a distinct memory of sitting in the reception area at Trident Studios reading the paper when Elton John's uh, producer, and of course Bowie's producer, Gus Dudgeon, walked in and congratulated me. I looked at him and said, what the hell for? And he said, Ziggy went into the charts at number seven this week. I just went me! Uh, it just blew me away after the non-success of Hunky Dory almost immediately after it came out the Ziggy album was in the top 10 I've always had my thoughts he said as to whether Tony DeVries Bowie's manager uh, paid a lot of college students to go out and buy it on that first week though I have no proof of it
0: well, we'd best steer clear of that. Yeah. But what I would say is that there is no doubt of the groundswell that happened the following day after it. I mean, it's been talked about so much. But, yeah. I mean, it was. I was there. And, yeah, lift-off with Aisha kind of came and went. Uh, but, yeah, Top of the Pops didn't. That was a one that just set, just set everybody off, uh, you know, running. And also becoming very partisan, either like Davy Bowie or Slade. That was kind of like that day in the playground was when people started looking at each other, you know, um, a, a bit leery, Yeah. So we say you know and thinking that if you're a Slade fan and you're like Noddy Older and those guys you might well want to go over there and wallop the people who like David (laughs) Bowie the lines were drawn the A to Z of David Bowie with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes
1: S is for Soul Train. Oh yes, Soul Train, an American TV show which aired in syndication from October 71 until March 2006 in its 35-year history. The show primarily featured uh, performances by R&B, soul, dance and hip-hop artists, although there's room for jazz, funk, disco and gospel people in there as well. It was created by Don Cornelius, who also served as its its first host and the executive producer, and it transmitted over a 1,000 episodes from its debut through to the 2005- rather than six season. Wow, that's a long run. It is a long run, yeah. Uh, so
0: the origins of Soul Train can be traced to 1965 when WCIU-TV, a station in Chicago, began airing two youth-oriented dance programs Kiddie a Kiddy-A-Go-Go and Red and Hot Blues. <laughs> These shows especially the latter, which featured a predominantly black group of in-studio dancers, would set the stage for what was to come uh, for the station several
1: years later. Uh, Don Cornelius himself, a newsreader and was a backup DJ at Chicago radio station WVON, was hired by WCIU in 1967 as a news and sports reporter. Cornelius was also promoting and MCing a series of concerts featuring local talent, sometimes called record hops, at Chicago high schools, calling his travelling caravan of shows The Soul Train. C.I.U. TV took notice of Cornelius's outside work and in 1970 allowed him the opportunity to bring his roadshow to the TV. The first episode of the programme featured Jerry Butler, the Shylights and the emotions as
0: guests. Each guest usually performed twice on each show. After their first number, they were joined by the
1: host on stage for a brief interview. That's how it all went. Soul Train was also known for two popular catchphrases, referring to itself as the hippest trip in America at the beginning of the show and closing the programme with And you can bet your last money it's going to be a stone gas, honey. I'm Don Cornelius, and as always in parting, we wish you love, peace and soul. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get to Bowie, shall we? This is, from the, this is from the Boston Globe in 2016. OK, here we go.
0: On the 4th of November 1975, David Bowie appeared on Soul Train. He wasn't the first white solo artist to perform on the landmark show, as had been claimed. Elton John claimed that auspicious slice of history months earlier. But you say, actually, it was Motown guitarist Dennis Coffey. It was, yeah. He
1: was the first uh, white okay. player on that game. Uh, But make no mistake, this was an equally seminal event. To be clear, they continue, Soul Train didn't need Bowie from the show's 1971 Dave It was instantly must-see TV for many young African-Americans and anyone else who wanted to be down with the best music around. Soul Train wanted Bowie on its stage. Already a star in rock circles, Bowie, by the mid-70s, had begun to indulge his love of the American soul music, first caught his ear as a teenager back in England. And black radio stations that never thought twice about the man who sold the world or changes ate up fame and golden years, the two songs that Bowie would perform on Soul Train creator and host Don Cornelius K. Bowie whose name he pronounced as Bowie
0: uh, an effusive introduction we're very proud to have with us one who is easily one of the world's most popular and important music personalities a great welcome gang for the gifted singer
1: composer producer Mr. David Bowie Hooray in a periwinkle blue suit and a yellow shirt here was Bowie his hair a brassy two-toned strawberry blonde a pale thin Brit amid a sea of afros rising like the morning sun what a great description there Mark when Bowie shakes Cornelius' hand, he seemed shy and nervous. Bowie hadn't done much American TV, and now he was on a stage once graced by his musical idols like James Brown. This was hallowed ground, and Bowie, then 28, reportedly downed a few drinks backstage just to, you know, steady the nerves. Fair enough. Alone on stage, Bowie lip-synced, and sometimes quite indifferently at that.
0: Still, when he performed Fame, his first in US hit, the audience yelped at his sinewy dance steps, and Bowie clearly revelled in it, grinning like a kid. Perhaps the crowd saw in Bowie a bit of themselves. They certainly understood what it meant to be treated as outsiders and to forge that status into a culture much envied and imitated. Bowie built his career as a champion of outcasts and misfits those who become triumphs of self invention I
1: have to say you know some of my favourite clips of Bowie on Soul Train just because he's just not with it, but yeah. it it's so great though it's such an unusual setting isn't it for somebody like that to be on that stage and he's dancing he's quite
0: awkward isn't yeah. it? but you can see that he is loving it and that is being embraced and accepted by the, the culture that, yeah. that he jumped in on unless we forget I mean you know uh, was it Paul McCartney said we did rubber soul he's done plastic soul yeah. <laughs> you know so I mean not everybody will have been absolutely taken
1: with Bowie's no. direction but if he's got this audience on his side he wouldn't care. Yeah, also give him a you know a sense of authenticity you could say so in a Q&A before his Soul Train performances one audience member asked him when did you actually start getting into soul music you know, when did you start wanting to do soul music I mean you're doing it now and Bowie gave a bit of a garbled answer, he just wasn't in any fit state I don't think was he Rolling Stone later called Bowie the whitest man ever invited onto Soul Train
0: first Bowie mutters at the floor until a worried looking Don Cornelius says, "Okay, David, I think we have to move on. He then mimes his way through golden years, even though he can't remember the
1: words. I hadn't bothered to learn it, Bowie confessed later. (laughs) (laughs) Great, isn't it? So there is a transcript here of the full interview. It's not quite on a Russell Harty status here, but, you know, it gives an indication of uh, perhaps where Bowie was at, you know, mentally anyway. So you're going to play the part of Don Cornelius, aren't you? I am, yeah. So a great welcome, gang, for the gifted singer-composer-producer, Mr. David Bowie. I'm
0: Bowie, thank you. Hi, David. Hello. Nice to have you with us, and I think our folks would probably like to ask you some questions after. I'd adore to answer them. After I get my dumb ones out of the way.
1: Oh, yes, I have some dumb answers. I understand you just did a film. Yes, uh, the director of the film is called Nicholas Rogue, who started out as someone I didn't know and ended up as a friend of mine. And it's called The Man Who Fell to Earth. And it's a bit like a Howard Hughes story, but he's, he's sort of an alien, but he doesn't look like a sort of an alien. What part did you play in the film? And Bowie just doesn't say something incomprehensible here. Right. Um, And then he says, "Mm, Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's one person. But it looks like it, says Bowie. Right. What does he mean by that? I'm not sure. And then, all right, Don says, "Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, you're also doing a world tour soon. That will take you to Russia. So changing the subject. Yes, says Bowie, I hope so. We've asked if we can play in Russia. Have any other contemporary music acts played in Russia that you know of? No, answers Bowie. So you'll start in the United States and go around the world, probably, and among other countries? And end up in the United States again, finishes Bowie?
0: And end up in the United States again? Fantastic. Let's see what we've got here. So this is where the audience member
1: says, Hi, my name is Ella Walker, and I would like to know, do you plan on doing any soundtracks for movies? And Bowie says, I'm doing the soundtrack for The Man Who Fell to Earth. And he starts laughing with a friend of mine, Paul Bookmaster. Yes, uh, another audience member. My name is David Vincent, and is it true that you're
0: going to be teaming up with Elizabeth Taylor to do a film? Yeah, Bowie starts laughing at this point and says, No, isn't David Vincent the
1: character from The Invaders? He that was. Great? Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. And uh, we've been through the Elizabeth Taylor thing. He had? had one frosty meeting, and then there was all kind of... Um, <laughs> to, to which he was very, very late. Yes. He had a squeeze, the photograph mm. was taken yeah. and then he scarpered. That was it. That was yeah. the end of that liaison. Another audience member said, yes, my name is Glenn Stafford and I'd like to know, when did you actually start getting into soul music? You know, when did you start wanting to do soul music?
1: I mean, you're doing it now. Uh, Bowie was laughing again at this point. Um, mm, getting into it? Well, back in England, you see, when I was a teenager, popping them, you know, I don't know, it's it's a similar expression over here, on street corners. We have street corners in London and then uh, in here. David laughs at his own joke, but nobody knows what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to go to a lot of clubs, and James Brown was very popular about then. I was about 17 then. And then Don says, Okay, David, <laughs> I think we have to move on to your first
0: song, which I believe is your latest single. <laughs> yes, he says. It's called Golden Years. So it was uh, bumpy and awkward, and, uh, but he was, he was probably on drugs, and he'd certainly had a few drinks, and certainly. it's still absolutely gripping to watch. Brilliant. The A to Z of David Bowie with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes. S is also for Stewie George. Yorkshireman Stuart George was a friend of Mick Ronson's from Hull, who had initially worked with the Rats. Introduced by Ronson to Bowie, Stewie George became his personal
1: minder on the Ziggy Stardust Tour of 1972. And he needed him. Uh, In Paul Trinker's Starman biography George is described as an old Hull mate of Ronno's with a noticeable limp Bowie met him for the first time during a trip to Hull to visit Mick Ronson's family in February of 1970 One of the best descriptions of him can be found in Woody Woodman's book Spider from Mars
0: During the early part of the Ziggy tour Bowie needed some help to combat some of the more antagonistic audiences Woody writes After another show when the atmosphere got threatening again Bowie said to Mick You
1: said you have a roadie with uh, the rats who was pretty tough Is that right? Yeah so reading from From Woody's book now, uh, Spider from Mars. He says, yeah, Stewie George, Mick replied. He lined up an entire audience against the wall once and made them shut up. (laughs) Okay, this was true, writes Woody. Our mate Stewie was as hard as nails. The rats played a gig at Cottingham Hall near Hull back in 1969, and there was some aggression from the audience. Stewie went out there and made every single one of them stand against the wall, the side wall of the venue until they'd calmed down. Uh, Why don't you ask if he wants to come and work for us? Asked Bowie. So it continues Stewie was a black ex boxer and that old chestnut, a
0: lovable rogue. If I ever questioned him about his past, he would grin cheekily and say, It's all just rumours, Woody. Just rumours. He could always take a joke, which being around the rats was fortunate. I remember his girlfriend once banned him from coming to a gig with us in Leeds, a situation he took seriously. After ten minutes of our jibes, sing like, It's all right, Stewie, we understand. What's it like being
1: under the thumb? And so now we know who wears the trousers. He got in the back of the van with the equipment. Okay, great. Continues here. "'My girlfriend could be waiting somewhere down the road,' he said. Uh, "'She'll probably flag you down, but don't say uh, anything or I'll get killed.' half a mile down the road writes Woody there she was we pulled up alongside her and wound down the window have you seen Stewie she asked yeah he's hiding in the back of the van we <laughs> chorused <laughs> like it she started to scream abuse at him from outside while Stewie banged on the partition
0: just go just drive so you've got this real hard nut <laughs> terrified of his girlfriend he later got in the front of the van with us and said you lot are a bunch of bastards you got me in so much
1: trouble but he could always take a joke I love it <laughs> so uh, Stewie joined us from Hull moving into a flat in Beckenham he came to every gig we did on the ziggy tour after that tony frost joined him not long afterwards because he'd done martial arts and was another tough guy we were relieved because in the end somebody would definitely have got hurt if we continued with no security the mere presence of those two mean looking dudes was enough to stop any potential trouble from then on Brilliant, uh,
0: so, and if you haven't got uh, My Life with Bowie, Spider from Mars, Woody Monty, then you really should get it because it is ace. Okay, yeah, so, let's continue. Yeah,
1: so Stewie George was at key events like the Oxford Town Hall gig in June 72, which we've covered, scene of uh, Mick Rogg's famous fellatio guitar shot of Bowie and Ronson. Uh, George uh, recalled later of the night, what you have to remember with David is that everything is choreographed. So he understood him, certainly. He was present at a crucial meeting also at a restaurant on King's Road in London when he remembered uh, manager Tony De Vries almost turning to Boeing, giving him like an ultimatum. He said, look, do you want to be a star or do you want to be famous or do you want to be rich, famous and a star? As Bowie's popularity grew, the Spiders moved out of Haddon Hall and rented their own flat on
0: Beckenham Road. Stewie George was their lodger. During the sessions for What the Hooples, All the Young Dudes, in
1: May 1972, he was roped in by Bowie and Ronson to provide hand claps. I didn't know that. All right. At a gig at Dunstable Civic Hall in June that year, George uh, accidentally set off the sprinkler system during the stage setup, flooding the stage and backstage area. Roadie Will Palin later recalled, I can still remember the water dripping on Woody's head during the show. Once Bowie became more
0: famous, Stewie Stewie George became more valuable in his role. Mike Harvey, the uh, owner of Ziggy Stardust companion website, told a Scottish courier about the mayhem at Bowie's Caird Hall gig in Dundee in May
1: 1973. So, 73, it's all going on, isn't it? He said uh, it was Bowie mania at its height, sort of like for the Beatles, uh, but this time in reaction to Bowie's Ziggy Stardust phase. At the Caird Hall, Bowie was saved from being trapped by fans at his car by bodyguard Stewie George. Uh, Stuart George became Bowie's bodyguard, stroke minder, and rescued Bowie from over exuberant fans and unsavoury characters on a number of occasions during those tours. He was the first of three main bodyguards
0: employed to protect Bowie. They did this by wearing karate suits with Maoist like armbands titled
1: Bowie, and were well known for confiscating film from unauthorised photographers' cameras. Ooh, okay. Later on, though, so in February 2016, a month after Bowie's death, Stewie George said that Bowie once had a threesome with Mick Jagger and an unnamed famous female singer in a walk-in wardrobe at the New York Plaza Hotel. George also revealed that Bowie banned ballet dancer Rudolf Noriev
0: from joining in despite him pleading to be let in. <laughs> he says uh, Rudolf Noriev was partying with them but spotted them sneaking off and wanted to join in and said, I have to be in there. I politely said, no. I was under orders. David, Mick and the woman were in the closet for 20 minutes and came out with big smiles. It was obvious what had been going on. Yeah, probably hanging up coats, I imagine. I would imagine yeah. so. So that's it for this episode of the A to Z of David Bowie. But once
1: again, before you go... If you'd like to support us along the way and be a member of an exclusive Bowie club, you can. And here's how. There's an exclusive Bowie members club called Cheap Things. And for just $5 a month, wow, you can be part of it. Right. So now you're thinking, $5 isn't much, but what exactly will I get for my hard-earned cash? Well, in short, you'll get lots of
0: great new exclusive material delivered to your door. Well, computer actually, Mark. Via a system
1: called Patreon. That's right mark. Patreon is a payment system that allows you to contribute your monthly subscription and offers you a portal to access the exclusive material. Materials such as... Interviews with Bowie's cohorts and friends. There'll be regular film Bowie quizzes. Bowie guitar
0: tutorials. Unreleased archive written material. Competitions. And perhaps most impressively, short films featuring the Cheap Things team. Ah, that'll be me, Mark, Howard Knock
1: and Jason Reed Visiting various Bowie places of interest. And much more besides. All this for just $5 a Month. So if you can't resist, simply go to patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash cheap things, or one word, and join up. There's also a website, BowieCheapThings.com. Book early. Thanks for
0: listening to this podcast. We're calling on your help to make your listening experience the best imaginable. All you need to do is take a short survey. Visit acast.com survey. That's
1: A C A. ST slash survey your opinion matters.